Hello, it's Joseph Mincelli. So good to be with you today. And, you know, I've had the good fortune of going in all kinds of different directions with this LinkedIn Live. And oftentimes we're talking to leaders or we're talking to customer experience experts or some celebrities who have spoken truth to power and maintained their authenticity, people who have recreated themselves into all kinds of different brands based on life situations. This is a, an individual that I have been really excited to share with you. And I've known him for a long time. Uh, I, I was trying to think back how many years it's actually been, but I've really watched him from this incredible human heart continue to grow and evolve and develop and build community like very few people can. Uh, I will get into all of the, the nitty gritty realities of this philanthropist, business executive, book author, columnist, television producer, radio show producer, podcaster. I'll get into that at some point. But for right now, let me simply introduce you to a guy who's probably, I mean, I know you get your share of interviews and all, Jeremy, but you've got to admit that the proportion of times that you're actually asking the questions as opposed to answering them has got to be like six to one or something. That's probably a fair ratio. I was trying to think even, you know, to your point of how long we've known each other, it's probably been eight, nine years, maybe even a decade at this point. So yeah, let's not let's not get too factual with this. Let's let's play <laughs> fast and loose with this alternate fact. Uh, but it was at the time they were it was called Lips uh, uh, Lipscomb and Pitts Breakfast Club. Correct. And then I know that you've evolved from there into the city current format and expanded and made it less of a you know, local social network and more of a community powerhouse. So uh, let's, I guess, since we're midway in a sentence, we might as well explain a little bit about what Lipskin and Pitt's Breakfast Club is and what City Current is, and then we'll back our way into who you are. So sure. go for it. So the, the quick history of that is, to your point, it started as a networking organization called the Lipskin Pitt's Breakfast Club. It was part of a franchise of Breakfast Club of America, which had, um, you know, a franchisee basically in a city would launch this. And it was very much like a, a BNI group in terms of internal networking. And you would bring in a guest speaker and host a breakfast. So that's where it got its breakfast club name. And so Lipscomb Pitts Insurance, which is the largest privately held insurance agency in the Mid-South, was the title sponsor. And so that's how it became the Lipscomb Pitts Breakfast Club. And the short version is, is that the organization nationally dissolved. And so Breakfast Club of America went out of business and all these franchisees bought themselves out. And so Lipscomb and Pitts, Johnny Pitts um, said, hey, here's our opportunity and, and basically bought out the franchise rights for the Mid-South, brought it in house. And that was the opportunity for me to step in because at that point he needed a business plan. He needed someone to be able to take it in a whole new direction. And a little bit of my backstory just uh, to kind of fill in the gaps and connect these dots is I grew up in the Dallas Fort Worth area, lived in Los Angeles for almost a decade doing uh, radio shows and TV shows and film and all of these things, which will come full circle, but also corporate philanthropy. I ran Merv Griffin's celebrity tennis tournaments. So events, media and philanthropy is a big part of my uh, growing up, a big part of my professional career coming to Memphis, my wife is from this area. And so we decided to move here about 14 years ago, not knowing anyone. One of the first things that I did, I got transferred in doing radio, but one of the first things I did was started volunteering and writing marketing plans and business plans for nonprofits. 
And so doing that, uh, I got referred to Johnny Pitts, who needed a business plan for Lipscomb Pitts Breakfast Club. And uh, I wrote that plan and I grew up in Scouts. He grew up in Scouts. We wanted to make a difference. So we had a common bond there. And um, we, we set in motion this powerful opportunity to really become social entrepreneurs. And the game that we're playing is how do you create an ROI for businesses? Because when you look at corporate philanthropy, and I'm kind of nerding out a little bit, but it's always the bottom of the barrel. So you have individual giving, foundation giving, and then you have corporate giving. And it's usually very, very low. So our thought was, how can you make an ROI possible for community engagement, incentivize them, build enthusiasm, but build a machine that allows companies to strategically get engaged, deliver value, and then free up more dollars to make a difference. And so that's what we've been uh, doing for the past you know, 13 years now. And, and basically, so I wrote the plan, gave it to Johnny. He's like, that's a really thick plan. I don't have time to run that. How about I hire you to run it? And so the rest is history. And you know, we, we rapidly outgrew that name, Lipscomb Pitts Breakfast Club. We started doing things like national uh, TV shows or with working with Forbes. We realized really quickly that we needed a new name. And so we rebranded it to City Current. And, uh, and that's been just a real game changer ever since because now City Current has allowed us, that name has allowed us to move into Nashville. So we've got a team working in Nashville now as well. And we're looking at expanding even further. And so that's that's kind of the powerful storyline of just giving something a, a strong purpose and then giving it power to be able to create change. So, you know, I was there kind of before in the early days, those Lipscomb Pitts uh, Breakfast Club days. And I remember my first phone call with you uh, because, look, I, I do this for a living. I go to places I speak. Well, not, no one's doing that now. But, uh, you know, and it was so rare to have somebody grill me um, about my social consciousness, about whether or not I would give extra time beyond my keynote. Would I come in the night before? Would I go and work with the students at the University of Memphis? On and on it went. And um, so the answer to the question was, oh my gosh, I have to work with you. And then from there, the genuineness of the spirit, uh, I mean, it changed my view of Memphis, right? Like I had a very narrow sense of what Memphis was. I kind of connected it to soul and rock and roll. And, and you know, some, some strife, uh, you know, uh, racial strife in the community. I didn't have a real sense of it, but then I got there, got to work with you guys, got to meet people throughout your, your city, saw the soul, not in the music, but in the people. And it was crazy good. And it's changed the way I view Memphis to this day. So uh, you're ambassadors of your city through this, but, but your city has come together through this city current, right. And, and doing, amazing things. So let's talk a little bit about some of the throughput of City Current, and then maybe you can talk about that machine, you know, that, that infrastructure that takes us from CSR into something far, far greater. Well, I want to start because you touched on something that I think is important for everyone, and that is the power of relationships. And I think when you look at what draws you to a city, but ultimately what retains you in a city, it's relationships. And so I was the same way. When I moved to Memphis, like I said, 14 years ago, even though my wife, her family is from a small area outside of Memphis, we didn't really know anyone. And so I wanted to get ingrained. And so I started volunteering and building relationships. And it's the same thing is when you bring someone and you, one, get to know them. And so knowing, obviously, music was a, a big part of your interest, allowing you to go to the Westin where you can rent guitars and you know be immersed 
But ultimately, it's incumbent on all of us. If you are going to attract people and keep them, whether it's the family, the spouse, whoever it is, you've got to build relationships. And so everything we do ultimately is around collaboration and building relationships to move the needle and move the needle on all fronts, on the business side, but definitely on the community side. And I think that's... So I've got to interrupt you because the guitar thing now has got me completely on the wrong direction. Uh, I'm blowing the entire flow and continuity. That's the beauty of live, right? Um, <laughs> so I went when, when I went to Memphis, they put me up in, in the Westin and in the lobby of the Westin are guitars from the Gibson Guitar Factory, which is just across the street. And I before I could get up to my room and they offered me the guitar and headsets and all this other stuff, I got up to my room. The first thing I did was get on my, my mobile device and I videotaped like a live blog that said, you're not gonna believe this. This great business across the street has partnered with this great business here to create a uniquely relevant experience within their community. So the thing that happened was I'm here, you know, becoming a spokesperson for the collaborative nature of businesses within Memphis. So, uh, so sorry, we can go back to your regular schedule that's a, programming that's now. Another, that's a really, it's a powerful tip for everyone is do your research, right? is we need to know what motivates you, what interests you have. And I'm a big proponent. And one of the things I tell, especially college students, is if you're going to a, an event, like a networking event, reach out to the organizer and ask, who are some people who are going to be there? And then go on LinkedIn and do your research and, and you know Google. You can find so much about anybody now on the internet. But that way, you know, when you walk in, a little bit about them and you can have a real conversation. And I, I love when people reach out to us and say, hey, we're coming out, who are some people there? They do their homework and then you can have a valuable conversation. But all of it- So in my homework, you have a great article that you wrote for Forbes uh, about what you should do before you ever get interviewed by someone. Yes. Uh, and it's that sort of brilliance of, hey, you know, even if people are gonna be asking you the questions, maybe you should know a little bit about the interviewer and more importantly, like what's the audience, what's the point? What questions should you be asking? I mean, this is the kind of stuff, I, again, I think it, it gets to caring about people at a personal level as opposed to just going through the mechanics of another interview or you know another guest coming into your city or another phone call with a local community leader. I mean, this is... This is where you're right. It's all about the people and it's it's getting real in the lives of the people. And this goes back to your parents. Um, yeah. yeah, according to what I understand, back in this tiny town of Weatherford, Texas, which is according to the 2000 census had 20,000 people in it. That's what I was able to determine. Uh, nice. This small town, your mom and dad have, I sense, been in business with their open door policy for a long time. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that open door policy and how it affected you coming up, because I think it's in keeping with what you're talking about now. Then I promise we'll get into the mechanics of philanthropy uh, in the next twist of the, of the sword. So what you're talking about is Weatherford, Texas. It's about 20, 30 minutes west of Fort Worth. So Dallas, Fort Worth area. And, um, you know, I grew up playing tennis, involved in Boy Scouts. I have a younger brother who now lives in the Memphis area with me, which is awesome. But uh, he rolled out of the Marines after 20 years of serving our country. And we grew up in this household where my parents would really at all days, you know, all hours of the day or night, 2 a.m., 2 p.m., didn't matter. Um, if you were going through a difficult challenge in your life, whether it was divorce, loss of job, facing, you know, a challenge, you would come over to our house. And my dad was in the insurance business. Mom was an educator. And you know, 99.9% .9 of the problems that people had had nothing to do with insurance or my, you know, my mom being an educator. 
And, and we just saw that for my brother and I, um, the more my parents opened up their arms and helped people, the more amazing things happened to our family. And it was just, it wasn't rocket science. It was my parents just authentically, genuinely wanting to help people. And yet the more they helped, the more just things magically happened. And, and, and there's a lot of really cool stories of stuff that you couldn't make up even if you tried in terms of even my brother being allowed to stay in the Marines after he had had uh, LASIK surgery. And there's these really powerful moments that all come back to just the foundation of my parents helping people. And ultimately when they needed help, people came to their side, which, you know, is almost like a Hollywood movie. And, and that really built the foundation because I'll tell you, one of the things that I've built my career on, we've built City Current on, it, and I talk about it in the books, is the three truths. And really simply, they're, um, truth number one is that people physically solve problems. And we talk all the time about how money is a powerful resource, but a dollar bill, if I put it on the table or if I put it on my MacBook, a dollar bill doesn't shake anyone's hands. It doesn't come up with any solutions. It doesn't parent a child. It doesn't mentor anyone. It doesn't do anything physically. And so if we want to see change, we have to be willing to be the change. And that's something I learned firsthand from my parents is people physically solve problems. We need your leadership. We need your physical engagement. The second truth, though, is that people provide opportunities for people. When you look at everything in your career, professionally, personally, as an entrepreneur, whatever it is, it's going to rely on people giving you opportunities. And so when you start connecting those dots, the more you get involved, the more you're positive, which is uplifting versus negative, which is divisive, the more opportunities you're going to have to meet people and they're going to see that you're good at what you do and you deliver value and you're a good leader. That's where that third truth is the intersection that comes in is um, giving leads to growth. And, and, you know, the power of giving and putting yourself out there, and that's the book is giving for growth. The second one, it's that intersection. And so I think it's a powerful opportunity at a young age for us to see, but that's what we're trying to teach our kids. That's what we're trying to do with City Current. That's what we're doing with everything that we do is getting people to understand the power of servant leadership, the power of being involved in your community, and ultimately how it can transform your life personally, professionally, and spiritually as well. Well, and these books are super inexpensive to get your hands on and probably invaluable uh, when read and, and applied. So uh, I would strongly encourage you to get them. We'll be popping them up intermittently throughout our time together so people can can look at it. And I know that you've gone now through what, are you in your third edition of your second book? And it's now an ebook form. So it's just super accessible, right? Correct. So it's, uh, I think you're right. It's the third edition at this point. So I lose track after a while. And you know, when you start doing all the edits and everything else, it's, it's in, a, in a good way, it's a little bit mind numbing, but um, it's out $4.99 ebook anywhere, you know, that people uh, access their ebooks. So that's an easy one giving for growth. And that's the latest one. It, it really dives into the things that we're talking about, but how do you one, find your purpose to leverage your purpose? How do you achieve success in a way that helps others? And there's tons of tips in there for business leaders, for CSR leaders, for nonprofit leaders, for individuals, for young professionals. It really creates a roadmap for getting involved and making it easy. I think many, many times the thing that I see a lot is people, um, they're searching for purpose. They don't know where to start. They also, too, though, are kind of lost in the shuffle where Monday through Friday, they're just you know, going through all the motions and they look at, I only have the weekends or I only have the, the week nights, but I don't want to give that up because I want that for my family time. So how do I weave it all together so that purpose is a part of the mixture 
it's not a separate piece of the equation. And I think that's a big part that I see a lot of people struggle with, but that's a big part that we dive into with the book. You know, it's, it's uh, first off, if you uh, happen to grab the book, it might not have the exact same cover because the cover is going through uh, redesigns with each iteration, but the title right. will always be the same, Giving for Growth. Uh, let's let's uh, get into that notion of bifurcating, you know, giving versus uh, work time. And, you know, I remember hanging out with Tony Shea, he's the first guy who ever said, I'm not seeking work-life balance, I'm seeking work-life integration. And I thought, wow, that's kind of weird. You know, I've been talking work-life balance, like I had to carve out a certain percentage of my work so that I could then, you know, have a balance to it with my personal life. But I think the same is true with social giving. It's not an affectation you put on, right? It, it is in the way you approach all things you do. So, you know, I know, for example, in these books, as a classic example, there's a give back to, to literacy programs for youth. So, um, you know, in the writing of the book and the helping of others, you're also having yet a third rail derivative, helping kids who need need uh, some money for literacy programs. So, uh, let's let's get to the infrastructure. Look, every I don't know. I my first Starbucks book. I think you can see it up over my shoulder. You know, I think the last principle was uh, you know something around make it good or you know do good or you know, all of those sort of classics uh, lines. You know. Um, and I think we all have been hearing about being corporately socially responsible. I'm not sure how many companies really believe it. I know they know they need to have it as an attractant for millennials, for example. I think they need to have it so that they have some good PR buzz around not just being greedy capitalists. But how many of them really incorporated and how do they make it a meaningful part of their business model? I think that's what you've done on an on a order of magnitude that most people can't even get their head around. So let's get to it. Yeah. Well, one is when you talk about doing good, our, our mission, and I would say it, it's not only with City Current, it's for me, for my family, is to power the good. And I think that creates a due north. But to your point, there are a lot of trends. And when you, when I speak to typically uh, like, you know, universities and big com conferences and such, um, I talk a lot about the trends and this is the stuff that I write for, for Forbes and such. But when you talk about the importance of knowing the trends, it's really important to know where things are going so that you don't get stuck behind and you're not run over like a freight train. Right. And so I'm big on just looking at where things are headed. And to your point, there are a ton of them and I'll dive into a few because I think they tie in directly with everything you just mentioned. One is, is that social impact is now mandatory. And that is the biggest trend. Social impact is now mandatory. And when you look at it, you know, USA Today, uh, consumers now looking at corporate America to be a part of the solution. Forbes magazine, one of the big titles was companies without social impact culture will soon be obsolete. That says it right there. And so it's, it's consumers making purchasing decisions based on the social good efforts of companies. 85% of millennials are choosing the, the companies that they want to do business with based on social good efforts. It's also employees choosing where to work based on, are you getting them involved with volunteer opportunities? Are there opportunities to grow? So they are choosing where to work. And in some cases, they're taking less money to be able to go to the socially conscious companies. So it's consumers driving it, it's employees driving it. But now the next iteration of this is that consumers and employees are also expecting not just social impact, they're expecting you to take a stand on social issues. And that's a big trend. When you talk about Black Lives Matter and a lot of the movements that are taking place, 
you saw it firsthand where companies now are expected to take a stand. And that wasn't the case, you know, years ago. Then you look at things like the one for one model. And, you know, while that's not right for every company, the idea of baking in the cost of giving into every single transaction, that's a huge game changer because typically corporate philanthropy, wait till the end of the year, have a good year, cut a check. Well, if you have a bad year like 2008 and kind of what we're going through right now with the pandemic, nonprofits are left hanging. And so you realize that model is not sustainable. Baking in the hard cost of giving into every single transaction, whether it's a percentage of sale, a roundup, all these different models now are creating giving programs where you have a charitable coin bank that now is sustainable. And that's a big one. The other one that you kind of alluded to is asset based. So looking at everything you have access to, is it conference rooms? Is it camera equipment? Is it trucks for deliveries? What are the things that you have doing an inventory, an audit that you can basically volunteer or loan out in kind to nonprofits to help them, which will help them cut their costs? And you mentioned the book. I mean, I'm a big believer on looking at everything you have. So is it books? Is it, you know, uh, like in the case of giving for growth, a percentage of sale goes to uh, literacy programs. Is it, hey, we're having a party at our house. And so right now, obviously, it's a little more difficult with the pandemic. But typically, when you come over to our house, we do a beneficial watch party, whether it's for football, for an award show, whatever it is. We say, hey, come on over. We're going to provide food and drinks. Whatever you would normally spend on lunch or dinner, we're going to give that money to a nonprofit. And we're going to show you when you're here why we support this nonprofit so that there's a heartstring pull. And we've raised tens of thousands of dollars by having these events at our house, taking something we were already doing and adding a layer of purpose. And I'll, I'll close it out with this because I know you want to ask more questions, but I had a friend that, that challenged me and he did it over the course of a football season. He thought he would raise $500. He ended up raising $15,000 by having his friends over watching football. And the magic of what happened is it started out, people were kind of reluctant, $10, $20. Then they started getting competitive. It was $40, $50. But then halfway through the season, what happened is he had done such a good job of, of really sharing why he was involved in this nonprofit that those individuals started hosting their own beneficial watch parties at their own houses. And then they gave him all the money that they raised to give to his nonprofit. And what that really showed him was the power of leading by example, of, of realizing that you don't have to be mega wealthy. You don't have to you know, have all these resources to be a catalyst, to be a philanthropist. It really is as simple as what are the things I'm already doing? Let me add a layer of purpose and you can make a difference and, and really change your own life in the process. I, I hate that we only have like 45 minutes and, you know, <laughs> we have, we need a lifetime, but let's take them one at a time. I'm going to dive a little deeper. Okay. So social impact is now mandatory. Okay. I got it. Right. Like intellectually, I got it. That doesn't, do I fake it until I make it? Is this the kind of thing where even if you really don't have purpose, you should try to kind of faux purpose until you actually absorb it? Uh, or is this a function of you should be going finding what you have purpose about and then pursuing it. I think it's, 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 it's really all the above, right? So I think the first layer, like anything is recognition and awareness and realizing that you need to have it as a company. And I will say, you also need to have this as an individual. And one of the things that I highly recommend is for everyone to write a purpose statement, write down on a piece of paper with your hand you know, handwriting it out, not just typing it on a computer, but what do you stand for? What, what do you want to fight for? What difference do you want to make? 
And is that with youth? Is it sports? Is it culture and arts? Is it fighting cancer? What do you stand for? And what's really powerful is then take your purpose statement and go ask others for theirs. Ask your friends, ask your family members, ask your coworkers, ask your CEO, what is their purpose statement? And if you don't think this is important, the first time that I met Fred Smith, the Fred Smith from FedEx, yeah, he already FedEx. knew what I was meeting him for. But right out of the gates, he asked me, he's like, Jeremy, personally, what's your purpose? What do you stand for? Right out of the gates. And so that was an easy one. I'm like, education and let's dive in and let's, you know, let's let's really talk about this. And and that allowed both of us to peel back the layers of the onion and get from level one, two, three, down to like level four, right? And with with people, they want to feel like there's a genuine connection. And that purpose statement allows you to connect. And companies are asking you for that, you know, for your interview, the whole nine yards. So write, have a purpose statement. As a company, have a purpose statement. Put it out on your website, FedEx, AutoZone, International Paper, all of these companies, you can go and you can look at their philanthropic statement or their global citizenship statement. You know, they call it different things. But that is allowing them to really hone in on the difference they're trying to make. Pedestrian safety, environmental sustainability, disaster response. What do they what do they want to fight for? Allows them to focus the resources, make a more sustainable and a, a larger impact. And at the same time, kind of narrowing that focus gives them the ability to really create some barriers around all the different asks that they get. So there's a lot of strategy there, too. So that's one piece of it. To your point, though. Gandhi's quote, you find yourself in the service of others. Sometimes you don't know, but by just volunteering and taking that first step, which is just, hey, maybe my purpose will change over time, but I'm willing to commit and I'm willing to take that first step and I'm willing to volunteer. Water naturally seeks this course. You will find what moves you. You will find that purpose. And believe me, you will find the fire that burns when you start realizing that, hey, my service is impacting someone else and it's making a difference in their life. That part, you, you naturally will find your enthusiasm. Uh, and, and that's the part that to me, that's why, I mean, to your point, like I do a lot and I'm all over the charts, but how can you not love it when you're able to genuinely help when you're able to give a, a mortgage free home to a wounded veteran, when you're able to get 15,000 volunteers to go pick up litter on a weekend, when you're able to mobilize hundreds of, of adult volunteers to literally get down on their knees and wash kids' feet and give them new socks and shoes. And for these kids, that's the first time they've ever had, ever had a new pair of shoes or they're ever given a birthday present. Like that changes you. You know, I, I, this is, if those who will watch this maybe later on after the pandemic, not in live feed, uh, you know, we are hopefully coming to the close of this pandemic with vaccines on the horizon. It's been a horrific time and the human need is greater. If you can't find something to be purposeful about to make the world a better place in the middle of this, uh, you know, there's just no opportunity for you. But what I love in the midst of all this human suffering is that we can connect with one another through these modalities and people like Vasca, who's in the Netherlands, uh, watching us live stream today, are connecting to this message, you know, saying that it's not about the guilt of giving that drives this. It is about impact that drives social responsibility. W would you agree with that perspective? Absolutely. I think that in some cases that, uh, look, consumers pushing this, employees pushing this, you could say there's some guilt in that in terms of guilting the, the leaders. 
But I genuinely believe that, you know, if it starts there, okay, that's great. Like any sort of social movement, there is a little bit of peer pressure that gets involved. But ultimately, ultimately, when you start realizing that it is good, it is good for business, it's good for you professionally, it's good for your career, but it's good for your soul, then it becomes genuine. And I think that's where the real magic happens. And so, All right, so let me let me take your second real, point of the like wherever look, it starts, it just needs to happen. And, and it, you know, I think if if you do it long enough, it becomes you, right? It, you consume yeah. this long enough, it it internalizes itself. So let me. This is the one that you know. I think I actually have a little insight on. I remember writing about the kind of you know issues Starbucks faced when they would take social stands on various issues. Um, conversely, someone like Chick Fil A would get the opposite. They tend to be a Starbucks a little bit more on the liberal side of things, if you will, and the, on the West Coast in Seattle and. You know, Chick-fil-A grounded in the, in a very conservative religious tradition. I loved them both. Like I cared about both of them because they stood for something, right? And and as much as I may not like something that one or the other brand does at a social policy level, I knew who they were. And I I think it made me want to know who I was more and I was okay if they weren't who I was, but we've gotten to such a polarized time in our society that I think brands are afraid to take a stand. You know, I, I know you're saying they're being pulled to, but there's a fear in it that we're gonna alienate 50% of the population with every single stand we take. And if unless we're internally consistent on every stand, we're gonna alienate the, a part of our 50% too. Right. Just go with me on this. I mean, how do yeah. you, stand for something in a world where it's probably better to hide under a rock. The simple reality is you just, you can't hide under a rock now. I mean, that's the hard part is in, in years past where social media, especially was not as prevalent, you could hide under a rock and, and, you know, be a little easier. But to your point, I, I think it is hard because politics by nature, Democrat or Republican, whatever you kind of side, 50% is going to hate you, right? So uh, you're, you're almost forced into that narrative. But I think to your point, when you look at Chick-fil-A, when you look at Starbucks, when you look at these companies, the one thing of just knowing their due north, knowing their purpose, knowing their values, being rooted in that allows them to make decisions based on that. And at the end of the day, you're not going to make everyone happy. You're not. You, you, I think that's the hard reality of adulting is that you have to realize that you're going to make people angry no matter what you do. And even though your intentions are 100% pure, at some point you're going to make a mistake or you're going to say something wrong or you're going to do something that ultimately uh, frustrates someone. And so we, we can't please everyone. At the same time, though, if you are rooted at the end of the night in terms of when you go to bed, if you're rooted in what you genuinely believe um, and what your team ultimately has bought into in terms of your culture and your purpose, then at the end of the night, you can sleep well. And, and I think I'm just a big believer in do the right thing and, um, and then good will happen. And I will say that from a social entrepreneurial standpoint, we on our end and like mine, like I, I stay as far away from politics as possible because I'm a convener. I'm a, I'm a collaborator. I have to, by nature, to get things done in the community, I've got to bring together government, education, business, faith leaders, nonprofit leaders from all different backgrounds and values and walks of life and religions and, um, and Democrats and Republicans and independent and everything in between. 
And I've got to find common ground and create a vision that galvanizes all the above to be able to move forward together. And I feel like on my end, you know, social entrepreneurs especially play this middle ground of being a convener and a connector to use the corporate resources, but ultimately to create societal change. And the only way you can do that is by getting people together to buy into a shared vision. And so um, I, I have to almost kind of add a whole nother layer to that conversation of, of what, what's the do north, what's the end result that we're after, and how can it transform a community so that ultimately we can get beyond the small things that do um, that do tear us apart versus the many things that glue and bind us together. So Joe, who I've come to know, I get to know these folks who are in this live stream. You talk about relationships. It's such a blessing to have these, these relationships. But you know, he's, he's really talking about kind of relationship expansion. I also want to just acknowledge that Joe's son is uh, actively serving our country and protecting and defending us. So thank you thank to you. Joe and his family for that. Um, you know, I, I think that there is this sense of relationship expansion that is involved in all of this, right? Of being on purpose. It, it is, we can't connect with one another unless we are able to see each other's purpose. It goes to your point of asking people what's purposeful for them. Yeah, and when you- There's have a those... question in there, Jeremy. I swear there's a question in there. I don't know that yeah, I it's like, is, I was is, hoping you would just free associate your way. Just go wherever you want, please. Disregard <laughs> the host. <laughs> well, I was gonna say that when you, when you have those conversations, even with your employees, your coworkers, you, you find out some really amazing things. And, and I feel like that's something that is, is missing is, you know, especially right now with the pandemic is we don't have a chance to physically be connected to see each other day in and day out. But I would argue that in many cases, even though you were in the same building together, you're all, you know, myopically kind of working and, and focused on, on what's at hand. And so sitting down and, and really figuring out what someone's going through what they're dealing with, what's on their plate, where do they want to go, just getting personal and, and finding their passions. And like I said, you find out, I mean, even the other day I was talking to someone I've known for a long time and was talking about his personal purpose tied to the American Cancer Society. Um, he mentioned that the whole reason he's doing it is because he lost his brother to cancer and how this was a way for him to honor his brother and I've known him for a long time. I've known that he was involved with American Cancer Society. He and I are, are working on a project, a, a, an event actually tonight that we're hosting. But, um, but I didn't know that. And, and I told him, I was like, thank you so much for sharing that with me because now I have a much deeper understanding of who you are and why you fight. And I feel like that's the key for us is knowing why we fight. And when you do, like I said, all of that changes the way that you treat each other. It changes the way you approach business. It changes the way that you approach the way you look at your business in terms of being a catalyst. And I, and I genuinely feel like when you put on the hat of being a champion, a community champion, it changes the way you look and deal with situations. And, uh, and I just feel like that higher purpose, because sometimes we get bogged down with all the minutia that comes at us. But the reality of saying, how can I use this for good? I have a different role to play. My role is about making the community better. It will change the decisions you make and lead to greater outcomes. And it, it really does create, I think, a, a ripple effect that like a farmer, you plant all these seeds of good fortune by doing the right thing. You don't see it in the moment, but all of a sudden as the season comes, 
you realize there's a great yield, there's a great tidal wave of energy and opportunity that you've created that, uh, th that really does lead to big things that will change your business, your life, your family, the whole nine yards. I got to tell you, I remember being in graduate school, still that wide-eyed, oh, everything's going to be fabulous and we all love each other kind of spirit in me before it gets beaten you know, down through uh, life's adversities, right? But I remember talking to a social psychology professor who said, there is no such thing as altruism. It's done for the giver. And I remember just being so indignant at the time in my, my naivete. And I, I felt like that was so wrong and evil. And, you know, then he had all these data, you know, it's kind of hard to deal with these academics, but uh, at the end of it all, I came to peace with it. Um, yes, invariably there's something to this for the person who is giving maybe a matter of what's your priority, right? Like I don't give so that I can feel good. I give and I feel good. Does that, does that make sense to you? Because yeah, it, it was crazy in the day to me. Like, what? How dare you say that? That that I get something back from all this? Well, and I go back to like I said, I, I'm a realist, and I'm I'm not the rose-colored glasses, and you know, let's let's put on the glasses, and everything is hunky dory. No, I mean, I, I think we live in a society, we live in a world where it's me, 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 me. What about me? What do I get in it? I want instant gratification. I want everything customizable, and so okay, let's deal with that. What's in it for you? Everything. I talked, I, I literally, I just talked to uh, two different classes at U of M, uh, University of Memphis earlier this week, talking with University of North Texas students. I mean, I, I love talking to college students because I go back and say, here are the things that I wish someone would have told me. And, and I dive into the importance of being involved off campus. And I go into even the minutia of not only the purpose statement and the conversation we had before, but volunteer with one large nonprofit and one small nonprofit. The large nonprofit like St. Jude, if you say I volunteer with St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, everyone knows what you're talking about. The challenge with that though is while that can widen your sphere of influence, you can't sharpen your leadership skills. You can't make a big difference. And so the small nonprofit is where you build your career and your legacy and your reputation because you can raise your hand and say, hey, I want to help and do this. And oh, by the way, Here's the time I have available. Here's what I'm good at. Let's figure out a win-win and, and what can I do to, to move the needle? And if I do a good job, my only request is that you write an email, perhaps CC the board, but write an email that just says, hey, Jeremy did a great job doing the XYZ and we really appreciate his efforts. And those little things really do move the needle because back to people physically solving problems, people providing opportunities for people. When you start raising your hand and you start getting involved and you start adding value and creating results, the world is really small. Everything in your career in terms of the jobs you want, the opportunities, it's all going to go through personal referral networks. It's people whispering to people. And so you hear the phrase a lot. It's not who you know, it's who knows you. That's so true. By you showing, hey, I want to help. I'm raising my hand, taking a leadership role and creating change. And then you have other people bragging about you and showing others that, hey, this person is good and, and trustworthy and, and really delivers results. That's where the opportunities really just open up the floodgates. And so that's where to me, it's like, once again, however you start, wherever, it, whether it's out of guilt, whether it's out of altruism, whether it's out of you know personal satisfaction and wanting to do it, the simple reality is once you start doing it and you realize everything in the world is valuable because of it and it will change everything for you. To your point, it really sinks in and it becomes part of your being. And, and once again, I don't care if you're doing it 
for selfish reasons or not, at the end of the day, if you're making the world better, we need more people focused on good and making the world better than we do trying to divide us and and be selfishly just about absorbing. The only All right, thing I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you right there. Cancer. So we don't want more cancer. We don't want you absorbing everything. That's cancer. <laughs> All right, hold on. Let me let me make sure people know where to go to connect with you after this conversation cuz quite frankly, we're just, you know, scratching the tip of the iceberg. You know, we we did this guidance on having this conversation around purpose. We've had this discussion about volunteerism and kind of trying to find what you're passionate about and step into it. We've had the conversation tactically about large volunteer, you know, organizations volunteering and smaller organizational volunteering. All of those are just really crazy, powerfully positive messages of which is, we're just getting started. But given the limitations of time, people can go to your website, jeremycpark.com. They can also head over and check out what's being done over at City Current. We've talked about this very lightly. It's all of the media content creation, your spotlighting community, volunteers, leaders, thought leaders, You've taken it another notch over to, to city uh, uh, growth, or is it growth current? I think it's growthcurrent.com, which is more of a subscription-based access to exclusive content. I think it's very inspirational, very much about getting into your purpose, how to have impact through your life. A very inspirational, the kind of thing you'd want to get a membership for yourself, very nominal price, and then also be able to get team members to have that and have dialogues about the content. That's my my guidance to people. But why don't you tell us, uh, you're also doing public speaking and, you know, you've got all these other irons in the fire, but, you know, if people come and visit you at City Current or, or at jeremycpark.com, what, what might they find there and why should they even, you know, engage the time? Sure. Why should you care? So City Current, uh, to your point, it's events, media, and philanthropy. We do a lot of events, workshops, seminars, national guest speakers, um, all sorts of things around enrichment and engagement. Obviously, right now, everything is virtual, so that makes it really easy. Wherever you are in the world, everything is uh, it's, it's accessible to you. So um, that's kind of the beauty of what we're doing with City Current. But it's around community engagement and enrichment on the event side. We also do philanthropy, so we give a lot of money to nonprofits. We do a lot of turnkey volunteerism. And then the last piece is media, and that's where you have TV shows, radio shows, podcasts, books. It's all focused on sharing positives. But lessons being learned so that you can be intentional with your efforts to uh, make a difference. And so all of that is city current. And what happened is on our end is that we realized that with the shift toward digital, we had a powerful opportunity to take all these relationships in the media that we were producing and package it in a meaningful way to create an e-learning platform. And so that's growth current. It's $8 a month, $96 for the year. It's a subscription based. You can do bulk subscriptions for your team, but it's all e-learning digital event or online virtual events, um, with thought leaders just like yourself. And really, once again, being intentional about different uh, aspects of professional and personal development to help you find fulfillment and to help you achieve more success and in a very uh, simple and structured way that's all digital learning. All right. So they're going to go to jeremycpark.com or they're going to go to citycurrent.com. They'll find out more there. Uh, I'll leave it to that. Um, they can also book you to do speaking engagements. They can buy one of the books that we popped up on the screen earlier. Um, you can find those at your website at uh, jeremycpark.com. So uh, encourage that. All right, final quick uh, lightning round, a minute and a half of lightning round. Are you ready? I, I warned you. I warned you about this. Search my soul. That's my song. One of my songs. I, I I had a prior life as a songwriter, musician. We were lucky enough to get signed and 
live out one of my childhood dreams and search my soul is uh, one of our very popular songs that uh, hit the airwaves. And yes, you can see that on my Instagram. I do an acoustic version of that. So yeah, you weren't expecting that in the lightning round. Meredith, Meredith. That's my wife. So uh, I, I was connected by a mutual friend from grade school and met her when she was going through her doctorate program. And uh, this is dating myself, but saw a picture of her on MySpace. Two weeks later, I was flying uh, to, to see her and meet her in person. And now we're married with two kids and uh, happily ever after. So the younger people in the audience, you can research MySpace, uh, <laughs> arcane forerunner to everything else that's ever happened. Uh, all right, let's, uh, you know, actually Richard Shadyak is somebody that I have interviewed for uh, Stronger Through Adversity. So I was gonna bring him up, but I'll pass on that. Let me go to Michael Drake, who I also know. Uh, tell me about Michael Drake and mentorship. Yeah, Michael is a, he's like a best friend, a brother, and um, he, is a former CEO of Master IT, and that company recently went through a merger. And so he's an author. He's a just an amazing man. And he and I have gone on so many journeys together in terms of just pouring into this community and it coming back tenfold in terms of changing our lives. But he's a best friend. He's a brother. He's uh, an amazing mentor who just is, uh, I just can't say enough about in terms of how tennis, tennis pro Beverly Hills Country Club. Yeah, you're just going through my whole like my whole history here. So, yes, grew up playing tennis, played uh, super competitive, had a chance to play around the world, which was awesome. Had a chance to be the head pro at uh, Beverly Hills Country Club and um, played tennis with some really amazing people and celebrities. And my lips are sealed. Merv Griffin. That's my last one is Merv Griffin. You have yeah. to react to that. He was a, yeah. he was somebody that you worked with, right? You were involved in, in his organization, got you started maybe in media a bit. I don't know. I, I give him a lot of credit. Um, so I ran his celebrity tennis tournaments. They were at Beverly Hills Country Club. His uncle Elmer uh, helped start Beverly Hills Country Club uh, back in the heyday. And so where I give him a ton of credit is um, he saw in me something that I didn't even see in myself at the time. So I was a young 20 something year old. I had gone out to Los Angeles, was director of marketing for a TV production company. Uh, two years in, they took a job in Florida, but I wanted to stay in LA. So I was jobless and ended up just through networks, through my personal referral network, getting a call saying, Hey, we, we could use you at Beverly Hills country club. And so obviously that was a dream come true. And Merv saw me all the time, picking up trash, doing all the things, coming in early, staying late. And he's like, I want that guy to run my tennis tournaments. And at a young age, I was interacting with him and trying to do all these things. And he pulled me aside one day and he said, Jeremy, I hired you for a reason. You can solve these problems. You can do it. Only come to me if the, if the house is on fire. But he's like, beyond that, I trust you. You can do this. And to have someone of his caliber and prestige and you know him to believe in me at that early age, really did put me on a whole different trajectory. Uh, well, yeah, I think you're believing in a lot of young people today and it's you're passing it forward. May we all do that as well as we get a little more years behind us uh, as well. Jeremy, thanks for taking the time to be with me today. It's truly an honor as always to be a part of it. Upcoming uh, guests in the weeks to come, Martin Lindstrom, the guru of sensory marketing. Uh, he wrote the book Biology. He is his new book, The Ministry uh, of Common Sense is coming out soon. Awesomely Simple with John Spence is going to be here. Let's see, we're going to have Chester Elton 
uh, jumping over to us uh, soon. Chester, who wrote The Carrot Principle and his big book about leading with gratitude recently out. Very excited to have them. I would uh, encourage you to consider uh, if you're so inclined to just take a moment of your time, I would welcome the opportunity for you to go to globalgurus.org and click on the customer service tab. If you think we're adding value to the world in any kind of way, it's helpful for us to get your vote at Global Gurus on the customer service tab as uh, that enables us to continue to have farther reach into the communities that we serve. So thank you again. Uh, thank you to Jeremy. With that, I would encourage if you'd like a copy I'll be sending out a copy of the book if you forward this to a friend or a colleague so other people can see this, learn more about uh, Jeremy and what he's doing. Uh, I will make a point of sending you a copy of my book. Let's let's pick the Airbnb way this time. So I'll be sending that out to you. You just have to let us know that you did forward this live stream to someone. I'm not going to be chasing you down trying to find you to doing that. So if you do it, just uh, let me know and we'll make sure that more people get to know you. Jeremy, again, thank you very much for your time today. We'll see you on a future episode of one of your incredible messages about social responsibility.